Hi, I'm soccer writer Carol Walton, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. I write a weekly newsletter on Charlotte FC called Football Friday. You can sign up for it and other Charlotte Ledger newsletters at thecharlotteledger.com. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Jessica Charmon, who provides color commentary for all Charlotte FC games for WFNZ. Welcome, Jessica. We're so glad to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me, Carol. Excited to be here. Are you technically the first female broadcaster in radio in MLS? It's a tight, tight rope. They uh, sort of announced that, but I think there's been some here or there. I think the way they described it best was full time in terms of doing every single game. There's definitely been some amazing women that have called games and have been sideline reporters, have done color commentating. But I would definitely say one of the first. There isn't many of us out there. We're quite a niche market and I'm delighted to be paving the way for hopefully that not to be the case for much longer. You and me both. I think it's it's wonderful for women in sports. From the inside looking out, there's nothing weird about it, right? But how do you feel like you've been received by audience, by players, coworkers, everything? Honestly, it's been a dream come true because it's been absolutely incredible. I'm not going to lie. You're always nervous, particularly as a woman in sports, that maybe the reception's not going to be as good or maybe you're going to have to overcome some adversity maybe overcome some of those sorts of comments that just aren't fair but everyone's taken me at face value and I think I've earned a lot of respect just through the way I communicate with people the respect I show back to them and I think my knowledge has been able to prove people that I'm the right person for the job and that's the most important thing at the end of the day yes I'm a female but I'm always going to want to be judged just based on how good of a job I do whether it's a male or a female and I don't want handouts I don't want it to be special I just want to be judged as how good of an analyst I can be. And I think I've been doing a really good job and the the fans have been amazing. The players have been wonderful. And it's just like I get to live my dream every single day. I do think uh, it helps your cause that you're English. Um, you get instant credibility and you've played soccer. I know you don't use those as a crutch, but is it nice to kind of have that? Yes, no, it's okay. You can say it. I think that People are already going to enjoy listening to you when you have a nice voice to listen to. There's always an infatuation about English accents in the American world. And it's something that you can use as a tool in your basket. And it's something that makes the experience really enjoyable. I think that Willie P and I have a very interesting contrast in terms of our background, in terms of just how we sound. Um, And I think it's really worked out well. And I think that people have enjoyed hearing about my experience, not just from being a player, but from being around the game my entire life, the cultural perspective, the understanding of other leagues, and, you know, having experience as a coach, as a player, as a goalkeeper, which I think is a very unique perspective as well, because it's just a different angle. So I'm able to understand the game from a variety of perspectives. And most importantly, I think, For me, it's about being able to, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you cannot articulate your thoughts, it's not going to be effective. And that's something I pride myself in, in terms of my vocabulary, in terms of my ability to enunciate the way I'm feeling. And I think that's been something that's made a a lot of difference to the success in this inaugural season. That I found the balance between educating, being a fan and making sure I never come across as condescending or patronizing, because that's one thing I want to avoid at all costs. Well, are you teaching listeners here some new terminology? Are you finding that you're having to translate every once in a while? I love it. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily, you know, there's going to be lingo that is different. You know, I've had to educate Will a few times on English sayings and what I'm trying to say, but I think it's been really enjoyable to have listeners that both really know the game, like the back of their hand and new listeners. And I think that's a really big skill that I've been able to develop through the course of the season that makes me uh, an interesting listen to both the newbie 
and the veteran. And I think that's what's really exciting, being able to show my opinion on things, being able to break down what I'm seeing in a game formation-wise. And there's been some uh, fun ways of teaching English uh, jargon as well during the season. Give me an example. What's something you were shocked to learn that people didn't understand? Mm, Not necessarily shocked, but me and Willie P have a very... different understanding of the word cheeky and for me I've been able to educate Will a little bit on the use of a a cheeky play when someone's being a little overconfident or someone's trying something I would use an audacious effort kind of thing that's the word cheeky Uh Uh, and there's been times when Will has used the word cheeky for something that wasn't quite cheeky and (laughs) I've had to I've had to tell him on the broadcast but what works really well with Willie and I is that he is more than happy to be corrected he listens to me and he kind of does very well at putting me in that expert role and he is the guy telling the story and I'm the guy explaining the why of the story so that's gone down really well between the two of us I think. So am I going to get cheeky right if I say that pass Carol Swiderski made the back heel pass to Bronick? Yes yes look at you you're doing it brilliantly absolutely awesome. that was a cheeky a cheeky back heel or uh you know when they Brian Bronico almost had a cheeky effort in the last game which went so close to going in I think if Brian Bronico had scored that goal it would have been goal of the season so tell me a little bit about growing up and playing soccer in England you started playing with the boys right yeah it was the only way honestly I started I have an older brother uh two and a half three years older than me so when he would go to practice, I would try and kick around with them. And the coach would sometimes invite me to come and stay, which was always cool. And I think that's part of the reason I'm pretty hard and physical and fearless because I've always been around boys. I've always been around people older than me. And I've always kind of thought that I could belong wherever I wanted to belong. And, um, you know, women's soccer wasn't as big in England at the time. There wasn't really the same option. So I had to play for the boys teams, you know, and it wasn't until I was 12 when you're not allowed to play with boys anymore that I had to go ahead and find an all girls team and was able to do that and that's when things started to sort of blow up for me because obviously when you've gone from playing with boys and then you move into the girls game you're going to be a lot more physical you're going to be a lot more stronger that's just the nature of DNA and the nature of genetics so I stood out a lot once I moved into women's game and that's when I was able to get the attention from bigger clubs from Watford from Reading and spent my time towards the end of my time in England playing for those big name clubs in the academy system in the women's professional system and and then got that scholarship to come over here to play so football's really been the catalyst of all of my great experience in life including being able to come here and get a free education which nobody can complain about of course and uh, I would say that I faced a lot of adversity as a female in soccer just in my generation because it wasn't the norm and there was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of teasing and a lot of comments that weren't very nice and a lot of people that sort of underestimated me but I was able to get harder rather than you know give up but I'm one of the lucky ones because I was able to handle that nastiness. Not everybody was in the same page as me. And there were people, so many girls I've watched in my generation stop playing. And even though they had a lot of potential, a bright future ahead, I've seen them give up on soccer because the comments were too nasty or their parents weren't as supportive. I'm blessed with two very supportive parents that still, you know, listen to every broadcast I do, download every podcast that I'm on. So I'll shout out my mom and dad right now because I'm sure they're listening to this one too because they find a way to listen to everything I do. But unfortunately, and there's been a lot of progress, but it's still the case, the dropout rates for women in sports is very disproportionately huge compared to boys. And I think that's something that needs to be looked at across the world, how we get more girls to continue in sports. And that's one of the reasons why I love what I get to do, because there's 
a lot of parents that have messaged me like, hey, my daughter listens to you. Hey, you've really helped inspire my daughter, feel like she belongs. And I hope I can continue to do that because I know the benefits that I got for sports. But unfortunately, there's a lot of young girls, there's a lot of young women that have given up on their sports dreams just because of not feeling like they belong. And I don't think that's fair. Was it guys on other teams, little boys? Was it parents? Yeah, everybody, coaches, parents, you know, boys, classmates. Uh, There was a lot of it, you know, whether it be comments about, oh, you must be butch to play soccer. You must be, you know, of a different sexual orientation. Like it was used as an insult. There was lots of horrible comments made as I was growing up or, well, now you can't be one of the cool kids because you can't go to the parties because you have to play soccer, you know. And I remember I would have been fourth, fifth grade and was asked to play in my school football team, soccer team. And I would be the only girl in history to ever play for them until that point. And most of the time it was sixth graders that played. I think it's quite similar in the US where usually you don't really have younger players playing, but they needed a goalkeeper. And a parent of one of the boys on the team wrote a letter to the head teacher saying that they didn't think it was right that I played because they didn't feel comfortable as a parent watching a little girl play in case she got hurt. And my dad had to go in for a meeting and my dad was like, we're not worried about her getting hurt. So what does it matter if another parent's worried about her getting hurt, you know? And in the end, I was able to carry on playing. But I think it says a lot that me, even though that happened when I was eight or nine years old, I still remember that, you know? And I think that that is something I was able to turn into a positive. Like people are going to have doubts. People are going to tell you, hey, this isn't for you. Or people are going to tell you you have no right doing this. But as long as you have the right people behind you and as long as your mentality is correct, you're going to be able to do it. But it just sucks out there that there's people that feel that way. And now that I'm a parent and I'm a parent to a little girl, I know I want to be the same style of parent that I had that empowers me. And it's not like they took any risks. I was never risk you know I'm playing with kids two years older than me but they didn't sugarcoat it for me you know they were always ready to let me out there and express myself and do something that not only did I enjoy and love I was talented at and I think if they had listened to the naysayers I probably wouldn't be in the position I am now amen one thing I I really feel is true after being involved in sports for a lot of years that behind every female sports writer broadcaster you know tv commentator there's a strong dad tell me about him and the role he played in supporting you god me and my dad have a (laughs) I think he would be fair to say it's a unique relationship in that we are so similar to each other that we butt heads sometimes but it's always out of love you know and we're both very hard-headed we're both very strong we're both very confident but we're both very tough as well and when those two personality types meet you can imagine it's uh, an amazing thing we're supportive of each other he helps me thrive but there's also the odd heated argument here and there. But I think a lot of that is why I am so strong-willed as I am now. I'm so tough now. And my mom was the soft one in a beautiful way. And that's why I'm so lucky. I've had two parents that have nurtured me, you know, in two very different ways. My mom makes sure I stay grounded, make sure I stay loving and kind and all of those lovely attributes. And my dad makes sure that I'm a hard worker and I grind and I get stuff done and I break through glass ceilings. And, you know, without my dad driving me to games every single weekend to make sure I played without him taking me to practice sessions all of this stuff I definitely wouldn't have fallen in love with the sport as much as I had so I think that even now you know when I have questions and when I have concerns I call my dad you know and I'm thankful that the world is a lot smaller a place now that despite there being 
a whole ocean and being in a different continent and a different time zone at any moment I can call my dad and ask him for advice or check in on him and it was actually I think the wildest thing in the world when I think back to when I got the call about Charlotte was it was the day my parents were leaving to go back to England they were with me when I got the phone call and I think that will always be one of the most incredible moments of my life getting the phone call and it wasn't a definite yes yet but it was that hey this is something that we would be very interested you in can we talk about it further and I think it was so nice to be able to share that with both my parents who I feel like are responsible for me being here and for me trusting in my abilities and they were able to kind of see that come full circle by being present as I told them hey there's a chance I might be an MLS commentator and I think that particularly for my dad who has always loved soccer and I feed off that from him it's a very proud moment for him and I think other than maybe being you know, playing for England or being a professional soccer player right now. I think this is the best thing in the world for him. And he gets to listen to me and gets to see that I'm still involved in the game that we both love. So were there tears or were the jumping on the couch or running out the front? It was, no, because it wasn't yet set. So it was very much like, hey, this is really exciting. But again, as I've said, both of them keep me very humble. They keep me very grounded. Like this is a very exciting opportunity, but let's not get ahead of it. And obviously, I've got to thank my husband as well for being so supportive as well. There's not many people that would be as lucky as to have a partner that would support them in traveling every single weekend and being on the road and leaving your little girl with him, you know, on the weekends, and they come with me whenever they can. But I think that there are so many people that I can be grateful for that have enabled me to be there. But without my parents, without Sebastian, without my daughter, I don't think I would have necessarily jumped as quickly at this opportunity because I'd have been thinking about the what ifs, I'd have been thinking about the risks, I'd have been thinking about, you know, quitting an extremely good job that I had before this. You know, I was doing freelance commentary on the side, but I was managing three very lucrative boutique gyms, you know, and it was definitely a risk to hand in my notice at that job. But sometimes you've got to take those gambles and sometimes you've got to take those risks. And I think that there's too many people in this world right now that are, are motivated by a paycheck and that's okay. And it's okay to be driven by money. It's lovely to have nice things, right? But I was driven to do something that made me happy because they always talk about doing something you love and turning that into work. And I'm able to do that now. And no matter what I had to say no to in order to get here, my life is better now that I'm doing something I love every single day. And now speaking of, you know, something you love and your dreams, it's so interesting to me that you're growing up in England and it's, you know, soccer is just part of the culture. But as a woman, the opportunities really were in America, right? I mean, um, you know, as far ahead as you guys were of us in soccer, maybe we were a little bit farther ahead when it came to opportunities in women's sports. Oceans, oceans ahead in opportunities for women's sport. And the gaps got a lot closer now. And now there's women in America that are going to England to play professionally because there are more options potentially in the professional game in England. And it's been wonderful to watch that growth back home. And there's a, a lot that needs to be done in both sides of the world, but it does seem lovely that there are opportunities now on both sides of the pond for women in sports. But yeah, it was always going to be America for me. As long as I can remember, I watched the movie Bend It Like Beckham and I saw, okay, these girls are going off to do an American soccer scholarship. That's what I want to do. And I, I knew probably from 10, 11 years old, I would talk to my parents and I would say, well, I'm going to America one day. I'm going to do my university and I'm going to play collegiate soccer. And, you know, and that continued. That was the one constant that 
I knew I was going to do even when, you know, high school counselors would ask, hey, what are you going to do after school? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to America. You know, it was just a given. It was what was going to happen. And fortunately, I was able again to have the support, but also the drive to make it happen because I could have stayed home in England. I could have probably played at a very decent level. I could have stayed in the Women's Super League with Reading and I could have done a degree, but I wouldn't have had the cohesive support from the two. There would have been a lot of oh, I can't play this game because I've got to do this homework or I can't do this homework because I've got to do a game and neither of those two things would understand each other. Whereas when you're a collegiate athlete, obviously your worlds are combined and it's a lot easier to be able to do both at the same time. So tell me about Clayton State and what made that the right fit. It was a really interesting recruiting process for me because I had some D1 offers. I had opportunities elsewhere. I had opportunities in the very much middle of nowhere as well. And for me, I wanted to make sure I was going to go to a school, number one, where I was going to play and number two, where it was going to be connected to, you know, broadcasting opportunities, because I still knew, again, I talk about knowing that I was going to go to college in America, or I also knew I was probably going to be an anchor or something like that. I hadn't yet necessarily fallen in love with broadcasting and commentating myself. I thought it was something I'd want to do. But again, because there were no female role models, barely, I wasn't sure if it was something I would be able to do. But my coach, uh, Gareth from Clayton State, talked the talk and walked the walk. He came to visit me in London. We went for some Nando's, which a lot of people in England will know is a, a Portuguese chicken shop that's very popular in England. And it is where, you know, he convinced me. He told me, listen, Atlanta is a hub for broadcasting. There's CNN, there's these opportunities, our school partners with here, here and here, you'll be able to get reps, you'll be able to get practice, you'll be able to help out with school broadcasting things, you'll get opportunities on camera. And I think what sold me is part of me sometimes thinks back and I'm like, you know, I was being recruited by Florida Gulf Coast, I was being recruited by these big D1 schools, but I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond, because I knew that those bigger schools, either I might not walk in and play, I might never play, who knows, but depending on the coaches and how many people they're recruiting. And I also knew that I wouldn't get the same opportunities, the same one-on-one with teachers and professors and influence on my career. And going to a smaller school meant that whenever I wanted to try anything out, I was able to do it. I was, you know, uh, invited to do a lot of public speaking for the school. I was practicing, you know, on TV broadcasting. I was then able to fall in love with commentating because they didn't have a voice for the soccer team. So I would play the women's game and call the men's game. And if it wasn't for picking a smaller school, I don't know if I'd have had enough show tape throughout my career to get where I am so quickly. You've got to remember, I graduated in 2018. It's been a very, very fast path to success, but it's also been a very, very hard worked path to success. You you injured your knee, right? As a freshman, did that um, speed up the broadcasting side or? Yeah, I think it did. And that's what's so funny because, you know, it was the worst moment of my life in a lot of ways. I'm 5,000 miles from home. It's my freshman year. I'm starting and I blow out my knee completely. And I'm at this crossroads of, I need surgery. I need to do this. And I don't know how long my recovery is going to be. It could be a year. It could be longer. And even after that year, people that have had knee injuries will know there's some fear that maybe you'll never be the same player again, you know? And there was a point where I was like, I had a university place waiting for me back home and I could have gone back home. I could have been closer to my family, but uh, I kept reminding myself I had those conversations with my support network again. And that was my dream. It was always my dream to be in America. So I knew I had to take the gamble. I had to take the risk. And I had to, you know, hope and pray that everything would go well with my recovery and I'd be able to continue. But while I was injured, it gave me the perfect opportunity to work on those traits. And I think it gave me an opportunity to 
fall back in love with the game, but not just as a player. Realize that, okay, even when I don't play soccer, I still love soccer. I still need soccer as part of my life. And that's why it's so important to me that I always stay involved, whether as a player, whether as a broadcaster. When something is such a key part of your life, you have to keep it in your life in some capacity to truly be happy. And that's what I've been able to do. You literally are climbing up these rickety stairs in an old press box. You can't call it a press box. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a shed on on legs. And I've told Clayton State, if I'm ever blessed to be in a position, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, if I'm ever blessed to be in a position to be able to invest in something, it will be building a far better press box. But I love it. And I still go back. I'm going back this Wednesday to call two more games because I just love going back to where it all started and feeling that gratitude for both the college, but also for the fact that they took a risk on me and the fact they continue to support me. They continue to, you know, want to keep me included. And there's a lot of people that maybe look at me and, you know, I get a lot of messages when I'm posting about being, you know, just yesterday I was in Mercer after being in Charlotte on Saturday, and then I'll be at Clayton State on Wednesday, and then I'll be in Lawrenceville on Friday. And people are like, you never rest, do you? But I think that for me, it's all about reps. It's all about continuing to do what I love. And you can only get better if you continue to work and yes I've done MLS and yes Charlotte FC is the best thing to ever happen to me but I have to continue to grind at all levels and I don't ever want to feel like I'm too good for an opportunity it's very important to me to continue to work on my craft at all levels and I'm also very passionate about the game at all levels so I love being able to call games of collegiate kids because who knows maybe the next Ben Bender will be in one of my Mercer games or maybe the next you know, Quinn McNeil might be playing for Clayton State. And it's so cool that I will then be able to tell those stories of kids that I have watched, kids that I have commentated throughout the years and then see them at the very highest level. When you do these college games or when you did it while you were in college, were you a one-person booth? I mean, there's not a color person. Oh, I'm still the one-person booth at Clayton State. And I'm still a one-person booth sometimes for other, even Division One stuff. And it's a lot of fun for me because, yes, I'm a color commentator, but I always have a passion for play-by-play. I love doing a good goal pool and I want to be the most versatile person possible. And I want to work on my craft in all ways possible because... Who doesn't want to be a jack of all trades? And, you know, in this gig, I've had to work on things like my interview skills. That used to be something that would make me very nervous. Now I love sitting down with the players and they've made it very easy for me too by being so friendly, so welcoming. But being a one-person booth can be a lot of fun. Like, don't get me wrong, it's exhausting. But there's something really fun about just being able to tell your story and tell your truth as it is, you know, and just be able to talk about everything and just almost have a little bit of fun talking to your audience, even though you don't know who it is, but just trying to make it the best experience. And that's what I want to do. I just want to make sure that whoever's listening to the game is having the best experience possible listening with me. Were you the little girl with the microphone who, you know, called along the Reading FC game? Oh, I, I grew up listening to radio, wanting to call in, wanting to text in, listening to every game, watching match of the day staying up far too late past my bedtime, having to have my parents come in three times a night. Hey, turn the TV off or turn the TV down. You've got to get up early, waking up early to go downstairs to put the TV on to watch soccer, you know? And I think that that's why I'm able to, people are always like, how do you know what to say? You know, and I get it to, to anybody else. People may think it's easy until they do it. And then they sit down and they realize, how do you think of everything to say? But for me, because I've been listening to it for the last 24 plus years, I just have this vocabulary built up and I just have this passion built up and I just 
love to talk as you can tell and it was really the perfect fit for my personality trait as a kid that couldn't keep quiet and I think that it's funny when you become a parent because you hear people say oh your kid's like hyperactive or all of these things or you know you, you start to see people but actually some of those traits are what made me so successful you know being able to talk to everybody being a social butterfly things that maybe people made a little bit of fun of me as as a kid you know oh you talk to anybody oh you want to be friends with everybody but that's what makes me who I am and that's what's made me effective in this career path this season with Charlotte FC has had a lot of great moments do you have one that sticks out in your head from maybe a call you did or something that came out of your mouth that you're like whoa that was good you know yeah it's hard because I'm really excited I think we're going to do a montage at the end of the season of all the bright moments. I'm really proud of that first goal call for Adam Armour, though. I think that Will and I both brought our A game on that goal call. And obviously we had had three matches until it took place. And, you know, these things have to be authentic. If there's one thing that I will guarantee to anyone that listens to me, nothing I say is rehearsed. I haven't thought up anything I've said. Yes, I make notes in terms of my research, in terms of knowing statistics about players and things like that. But when it comes to what I say on the broadcast, that's just what comes to me in the moment. And I was really proud of that Adam Armour goal call. And Adam's been amazing. He posts that everywhere. And he says that during his rehab, he's listened to that call. And that call gives him, you know, inspiration during his rehab that he wants to get better. He wants to get back to that stage. And coming off someone that's had a knee injury, knowing that I can help him rehab it's like my life has always come full circle again you know I'm a that kid that was looking for inspiration when they blew out their knee and now I can be a person helping offer inspiration for someone that has blown out their knee and I just think that's a really special thing and like I say it was a really good goal call honestly and I was very grateful because you know we were the only goal call that got used because it was a national tv broadcast and I believe the national tv uh, got the wrong identification on the goal score so Funny how those things work in your way sometimes. That's right. It was meant to be. Well, Jessica, we'll wrap it up with just one more question. Speaking of special times this year, I know um, your father came over and visited for a couple of weeks, right? What was that like to have him here and see you in action? Oh, yeah, that was very special. And it was just amazing how the timing happened. He had already booked the flights before we knew about the Chelsea game. And, you know, the stars sort of aligned that I was able to get him a press pass, have him on the pitch, show him the booth, all of those things. And being able to have him there was truly wonderful, you know, because he's able to see what I do week in, week out. And let's be honest, it must be quite scary for parents knowing that their kid, you know, because yes, I'm an adult, but I'm always going to be their kid. And I'm driving 500 miles a, a weekend to get to Charlotte. And I think it kind of just put things into perspective how safe I was there, how well taken care of I was there, what a fantastic club it is, how amazing the fan base is, because he went to the games both as a fan and then as a journalist, and everyone was amazing to him. They showed that true Charlotte hospitality, and I'm forever grateful for the fact that he has been, you know, treated to those experiences, because again, kind of like what we touched on earlier, you can never take a day for granted, and knowing that I've shared that moment with my dad is something that will stay with me forever. Beautiful. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today, and have a great rest of your season. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Carol. It's been a pleasure.